Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayome Azikwe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayome Azikwe. Today is Friday, uh, November the 25th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live uh, from our studios in downtown Detroit. We would like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal, this special edition of our program. Later on in this uh, episode, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire reports. We'll have dispatches on the victory earlier today by the Senegalese uh, soccer team against uh, host Qatar at the World Cup being held in Doha. African National Congress official Lindiwe Susulu has questioned the process for the upcoming National Elective Conference in the Republic of South Africa. The Ugandan government has ordered schools closed two weeks early amid the Ebola virus disease outbreak inside the East African state. And there was a reported attempted coup in Sao Tome and Principe uh, earlier today. Uh, we'll have details on that as well. In the second hour, uh, we look at the energy crisis in Africa in light of the recently held COP27 United Nations Climate Summit in Egypt. Later in the program, we examine in detail the issues involving the ruling party of South Africa, the African National Congress, on the eve of its leadership election process. Finally, we review an historic uh, November 1963 Detroit speech by Malcolm X uh, on its 59th anniversary. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, we're going to take our musical interlude uh, with the music of the West African state of Senegal in tribute uh, to the Senegalese uh, soccer team for their victory today of 3-1 to one against Qatar. This is music uh, from the Orchestra Baobab uh, from the Paris Sessions Recorded in 
Averti las nubes, se sabe gritando, se sabe el fuego, que el fuego que donde. Para el rocío y muriendo de fregué, de tirillo, merecillo, vete, pero veintitrés. En no me perdió, Oh, 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 oh,
Cuando el que curra me va, me la saya. 
Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the Orchestra Baobab, the Baobab Orchestra from the West African state of Senegal. Uh, that was from the Paris Sessions, and you're listening to the Patton African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Friday, uh, February the 25th. 2022, uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswise segment uh, of our program. And our lead story, of course, uh, deals uh, with the World Cup uh, taking place in Qatar. And uh, the show is already over for the Qatari team, uh, which was eliminated earlier today. From the World Cup, uh, less than a week after it opened the tournament and launched the first version of soccer's biggest event uh, in West Asia, uh, Qatar lost 3-1 to one to Senegal for its second straight defeat uh, at the World Cup, and its exit uh, was confirmed a few hours later when the Netherlands and Ecuador uh, drew a 1-1 to one, uh, in the other Group 18, uh, becoming the quickest host nation team to depart the tournament in the 92-year history of the World Cup. Qatar can't qualify for the last 16, no matter what happens in its last game against uh, the Netherlands. And, of course, uh, there was much celebration uh, in uh, Senegal among uh, Senegalese fans in uh, the, uh, Doha, Qatar. Senegal came closer to adjusting to life in Qatar without Mani, uh, who was uh, out due to an injury. With those three forwards on the score sheet, uh, it's very difficult to replace a player like Sadio Mani, uh, but football is a team sport. That's according to the Senegalese coach, uh, Sisi. Uh, also important for Senegal's goalkeeper, Edouard Mende, uh, made two world-class saves to suggest a return to some form after he was blamed for both goals in the 2-0 loss to uh, the Netherlands. Uh, bows out against the Netherlands on Tuesday. Uh, Senegal isn't out of trouble yet and will face Ecuador on the same day with both playing uh, for a place in the last uh, 16. In the Republic of South Africa, the African National Congress National Electoral Committee said it will respond to a dispute launched by presidential hopeful Lindiwe Susulu. This comes after the Susulu uh, failed uh, to secure enough nominations to make it onto the ballot. Uh, Susulu, in a letter of complaint to former ANC Deputy President and Electoral Committee Chairperson Halema Moklante, claimed uh, announcements uh, were made despite several outstanding matters. She insisted nominations in her favor from branch journal meetings were not taken into consideration. The National Executive Committee member also claimed to feel prejudiced 
by the Electoral Committee as it's only published the top two contenders for party president. Unlike most positions where the top three were listed, Sisulu's chances of becoming the ANC's first woman president uh, seem remote, but she is prepared uh, to fight, claiming the data she received was not consistent with the announcement from the ANC's Electoral Committee. In the dispute uh, that she lodged uh, with the committee chair, she also took issue with only two candidates being listed as contenders for the position of party president. According to the committee's information, only two candidates met the threshold for the positions of president and deputy secretary general. So Sulu, who is having her second go at leading the African National Congress, um, probably will not succeed again. Uh, this also signals the end of the era, perhaps, uh, where uh, the children of the Afrikanic uh, former leaders command strong influence uh, in the former liberation movement now turned political party, the African National Congress. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal. This is the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In Uganda, schools inside the country closed uh, today, two weeks ahead of schedule as authorities raced to stop an Ebola outbreak from spreading in crowded places. The Ministry of Education Directive ordered all pre-primary and primary and secondary schools to close from November the 25th after 23 Ebola cases were confirmed among pupils. I think this early closure was really necessary because of the situation, the Ebola situation in the country. And we know, yes, children are usually safer with us, said uh, Joab Barayaki, a parent Eight children have succumbed to the virus, according to the Ministry of Health. The World Health Organization last week said Uganda had registered over 150 confirmed and probable cases, including 64 fatalities. The strain now circulating is known as the Sudan Ebola virus. No vaccine, although there are several candidate vaccines heading towards uh, clinical trials. And finally... A coup attempt failed uh, yesterday, uh, in fact, last evening in Sao Tome and Principe, the small uh, Gulf of Guinea Island nation, considered a model of parliamentary democracy in Africa. That's according to Prime Minister Patrice uh, Trovoada. Four men, including the former president of the outgoing National Assembly, Delphim Nevis, and a former military officer who had already attempted a coup in 2009 were arrested after allegedly trying to attack the Army headquarters. Soviata said in a video authenticated and sent to the international press in Libreville, uh, in Gabon, uh, by Justice Minister Ilsa Maria dos Santos Amado Vaz, the head of government uh, who appeared seated at a desk with tied features, uh, wearing a T-shirt under a raincoat was keen to reassure the population and the international community. He said there was an attempt at coup d'etat which began around uh, after midnight and ended shortly after 6 a.m. He said, adding, the armed forces were attacked in a barracks. A resident contacted by telephone uh, by the international press said on condition of anonymity that she had heard uh, automatic and heavier weapons fire as well as detonations for two hours inside the Army headquarters in the capital of Sao Tome. 
And uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And in concluding uh, this segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. And since then, it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to listen and log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire as well as listen to the Pan-African Journal, for the Newswire, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. To have access to this um, broadcast, uh, the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast, uh, all you need to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. This is uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Are you listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal? And, of course, uh, we're going to um, take a break, and uh, we'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast, and that was the voice and the music of uh, the legendary D.D. Sharp with a tune entitled I Do Love You, and we do love you here at the Pan-African Journal, the Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast uh, for Friday, November 25th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and uh, right now we want to move into a special uh, program on uh, the energy crisis in Europe. Of course, uh, the energy crisis is very much in evidence uh, right now uh, in Europe, and of course, largely uh, due to the sanctions against the Russian Federation, the Russian special military operation in Ukraine, and of course, uh, the uh, tremendous pressure that being placed on uh, the Western European countries that are part of NATO or allied with NATO. And, of course, uh, European countries have been turning towards Africa, uh, looking for particularly uh, natural gas uh, resources. Let's listen to uh, this report. China Global Television Network. Europe is in the grip of an unprecedented energy crisis. Its oil and gas taps are drying up. At the center of it all is the Russia-Ukraine conflict, which the EU accuses Moscow of orchestrating. To punish Russia, the EU quickly imposed a range of crippling economic sanctions on Moscow. A bad idea, as it soon emerged. Europe is heavily dependent on Russia for its oil and gas supplies. However, Russia has been slowly turning off the tap. Now caught between a rock and a hard place, Europe has had to look elsewhere to satisfy its energy needs. Africa, which has some of the world's biggest supplies of crude, has emerged as one of the top options. But at what cost for Africa, many are already asking. This week on the program, we explore the extent of the energy crisis in Europe and interrogate whether indeed Africa can fill Europe's huge energy deficit. We also expose the hypocrisy and cynicism in the fight against the climate change this turn of events has brought to the fore. I'm Lindim Tongana. Welcome to Talk Africa. The European Union is courting Nigeria to provide the bloc with liquefied natural gas supplies as it weans itself off from the reliance from Russia. EU officials visited Nigeria earlier this year and officials from the state-run petroleum company, the NNPC, committed to boosting supplies to the Eurozone. CGTN's Deji Badumosi has more. Nigeria already exports liquefied natural gas to Europe. Last year alone, it exported 12.63 billion cubic meters of gas to Europe through the Nigeria Liquefied Natural Gas, NLNG. Currently, uh, the uh, six trains of Nigeria LNG produces about 22 metric tons of LNG per annum and about 5 million tons of LPG uh, per annum. Uh, at certain times, you know, due to gas shortage, uh, there may be shortfall in this nameplate. 
of gas production. Europe accounts for 40% of Nigeria's gas exports, but the bloc says it wants more as a result of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. In April, a European delegation met with authorities in Nigeria to extract a commitment on increased gas supply, and the government gave the commitment. Nigeria will be very willing and we are very well positioned to be a reliable partner, reliable supplier of energy to Europe. Authorities are looking beyond the NLNG to drive its gas supply to Europe. The country is currently working with other African countries to construct gas pipelines from Nigeria to Europe. Two of such projects are the Trans-Saharan Gas Pipeline that will transport natural gas from Nigeria's Niger Delta region to Europe via Algeria and the Nigeria-Morocco Gas Pipeline which will link up with the West African Gas Pipeline and take natural gas to Europe through Morocco. So if both pipelines are completed, then you can be sure that our gas here will be destined for Europe. But both projects are capital intensive and long term, and even the NLNG is still working on improving its capacity with additional trains. There's also the problem of inadequate LPG for the domestic market, where prices have since hit the roof. It's a complex situation with no easy fix. One thing though is clear. Nigeria has an abundance of natural gas reserves, up to 260 trillion cubic feet, that could potentially be increased to 600 trillion cubic feet. Mining enough of the gas for revenue has been the big challenge. DG Badimasi, CGTN, Lagos, Nigeria. Well, let's now bring in our panel. Joining us from London via Zoom is Dr. Elif Salin Chavik, an energy consultant based in London and author of Renaissance of Smart Energy. In Johannesburg, also via Zoom, we're joined by Langa Madongo, economist and principal consultant at Summit Africa. And from Lagos, Mr. Balazaka, a petroleum engineer and an oil and gas analyst. Thank you to all three of you for joining us for today's program. A very warm welcome to you. I want to start with Dr. Chavik in London. Of course, Europe's energy shortfall is being described as a crisis, a nightmare, an energy system pushed to the limits. And it certainly can't be helping that Europe is currently experiencing its worst heat wave ever. Dr. Chavik, tell us from your experience just what the magnitude is of this energy crisis. It's a falling chain of energy dominoes, one in which each child is worth many billions of euros, especially for this winter. Uh, in Europe, when the dust settles, uh, the total bill for rescuing the European energy market this winter will easily top uh, more than $200 billion. It is rough estimate of uh, International Energy Agency. So here in London, uh, let's look at the households. The UK is paradigmatic of the problem. Uh, last February, London announced a multi-million, multi-billion pounds bailout to cushion the impact of 54% increase in the country's retail energy cap. So currently, the near uh, 70% increase is set to be announced in early August next month. So this is the figures of Government Energy Regulation Institute of GEM. On the other hand, Germany also. Germany has similar situation in Europe. It is 
not difficult to predict that next winter will be very, very expensive in Europe. Mm, absolutely. Mm. And in fact, one journalist uh, from the UK's uh, Guardian newspaper uh, shared a rather grim forecast for Europe's winter, saying it's going to be a long, cold, calamity-filled winter of power shortages and turmoil. Uh, Langa Madonko, I want to come to you for a moment now. Uh, we know that Europe was quick to respond to the Russia-Ukraine conflict, giving a lot of support to Ukraine and, of course, uh, imposing sanctions. Now, considering Russia's retaliation when it comes to the matter of oil and gas, do you think Europe's response was perhaps a little short-sighted? The impact, or rather the magnitude of the dependence on Russia um, by Europe was probably understated in terms of um, what was the perceived impact of the sanctions on, on Europe. I think uh, we've immediately seen, um, as Edine has spoken to, how the, the gas prices have immediately shot up. We've seen the energy crisis that has already started uh, to be felt. Uh, and I also think we've also started to see how we've needed to move away in Europe anyway from uh, using just uh, renewables as a solution for providing energy to moving to coal. Uh, I think out of South Africa, for example, 15% uh, of all the exports of coal since uh, the, the war began have been to Europe towards um, reigniting some of the, uh, the fire stations, uh, the coal powered stations there. And I think some of the measures that have been taken, uh, whilst right in terms of trying to uh, bring an end to a war, were not fully considered in terms of what their impact would be on the energy situation. And I think we're still yet to see more issues unveiling because we know the extent to which Ukraine and Russia are important also as wheat producers into the region. And we want to, we're still yet to see how that plays out uh, for the food situation within the European bloc. And so I want to bring in uh, Dr. Balazaka now uh, in Lagos. Uh, Mr. Zaka, why is Africa an option? Let's talk about the kind of oil and gas reserves that this continent is sitting on and the extent to which it could perhaps fill that energy gap in Europe. Well, uh, one will expect uh, naturally that uh, based on what is happening uh, between Russia and uh, Ukraine and the, and the sanctions and, and the retaliation of, of, of Russia, the, the, the only continent to turn to is, is, is the continent of Africa. And uh, fortunately, Africa is endowed with so much uh, crude oil and, and gas uh, as, as we speak. And when you look at it globally, uh, we are talking about energy security here. Uh, and and, and uh, the first thing you require is general security in, in, in any country or nation or continent. And after that, the next thing you require is energy. Because once you have the energy, then, I mean, uh, citizens can embark on activities that will make them to create aggregate mobility of, 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 of transactions. And it is from there that they will be able to comply with their civic responsibilities of paying taxes and levies uh, to generate revenues for their government and to grow the gross domestic products of their respective countries. So it's, I think... Uh, it, it, it's the right time, though it's happening due to hostilities and, and sanctions. And uh, what we hope and expect is that uh, I mean, there will be a mutually win-win and positive relationship for both partners. Uh, that's the countries uh, turning towards Africa and, and the continent of Africa also. 
And we'll come back to that question of whether or not this is a win-win arrangement for the two continents. But I want to just take a closer look at Africa's capacity to actually deliver on this uh, notion of filling that energy gap in Europe. Um, Dr. Chavik, let me come back to you. Africa does have the oil and gas reserves, but what about the infrastructure, the pipelines, the export terminals to make this a reality? Africa's biggest gas energy project, Nigeria-Morocco gas pipeline, uh, it is full 4,000 kilometer line, and it is like a crescent-shaped uh, line. We can all we can call this pipeline that crescent-shaped pipeline, crescent. And I always call this uh, pipeline golden crescent because it is starting from Nigeria, Ghana, Guinea, Senegal, Mauritania, and ended up Morocco, Africa's European border country. So it, uh, it, it includes 11 uh, African countries. So. A uh, couple of weeks ago, a Nigerian president has called Europe to help fund $25 billion for this important uh, historical gas pipeline by highlighting its potential to solve Europe's energy crisis. So it is really, really important in terms of relationship between Africa and Europe. Mm. And Dr. Madonko, I want to come to you on this same topic about Africa's realistic capacity to really help Europe at this time. I mean, we know that countries like Italy, for instance, are shopping around uh, for gas and oil in Angola, in the Republic of Congo. Can these kinds of countries deliver on this need that Europe currently has? Yeah, I think, in my view, from a capacity perspective to deliver on the commodities, Africa definitely has the capacity. We definitely have the, the, uh, the raw resources in order for us to meet that need. But as you have rightly said, I think our greatest impediment will be infrastructure. I think uh, Dr. Lin, when speaking to it, also alludes to the fact that the gas line that allows us to evacuate, um, uh, the oil line that allows us to evacuate oil from Nigeria into Europe, still needs to be constructed and needs to go a long way. We've got gas reserves in, in Mozambique, for example. We don't have the adequate infrastructure to evacuate those and lead them into, uh, into Europe. We speak about coal from South Africa, and South Africa in of itself is having troubles with the ports. So I think the greatest impediment and probably the greatest opportunity for gain for Africa is in the enablement of that infrastructure. Uh, I think the quicker we can take advantage, the greater we can benefit from the current crisis. Mm. And yes, we'll need some partnership coming out of Europe, um, coming out of the developed uh, economies to make sure that there's a, a realistic um, benefit for Africa. And I think the greatest economic uh, advantage that we have right now is that we possibly could, for the first time, be negotiating on our terms because it's currently not and realistically a crisis that's being experienced in Africa, mm. but Africa has the solution to that crisis. And that brings us to, to what Mr. Zaka raised earlier, the potential for this to be a win-win arrangement for both Europe and Africa. Uh, Mr. Zaka, we know that Africa stands to gain in terms of jobs, in terms of the millions of revenues, uh, millions in revenues rather, that can be made at a time when we still are recovering from the pandemic. So do you think that, this, that these deals could be very positive for Africa. Well, uh, what's happening at the end of the day will be positive for, for the continent of Africa. But I think uh, it will not be immodest if I say uh, as far as energy infrastructures are concerned, the, the continent of Africa was a, a somehow docile. 
uh, I, I can give a specific example ab ab about Nigeria. Uh, more than probably three or four decades uh, ago, uh, the Nigerian leaders then uh, conceived uh, the idea of what we then call the Trans-Saharan Gas Pipeline. And the, the intention then was to construct uh, gas pipelines uh, from, from Nigeria through uh, North Africa, through the Mediterranean Sea uh, into Europe. Uh, I'm just, ju just trying to imagine what will have happened now if that, those structures or infrastructures were put in place. Mm. Uh, at a point, okay, to take care of the uh, West African sub-region, uh, they came up with what we call the West African Gas Pipeline uh, Project, which, which has seen reasonable progress. So if the Trans-Saharan Gas Pipeline uh, Project and initiative had crystallized, uh, something tells me that Europe will just uh, switch towards, towards, towards uh, such uh, uh, infrastructures. Mm -hmm. But it's a wake-up call for, for, for Africa, too. We, we mustn't wait, or Africa mustn't wait until opportunities come to, 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 to the gates like this. Mm -hmm. But the key thing is to always be futuristic in, in, in their thinking, to also be generational in their thinking, especially when it comes to to energy and energy solutions. Absolutely. So some missed opportunities in the past, but new opportunities today. Uh, Mr. Madongo, I want to come back to you in Johannesburg. What are these specific kinds of deals African oil and coal exporters should be signing uh, to guarantee maximum returns? I, I agree with Mr. Zaka that the greatest dividend that we can probably realize from this is co-investment into the infrastructure. I think we shouldn't look at it uh, only exclusively from the perspective of what's the best price you can get for the coal. Um, and as Dr. Leaf has said, should, how do we structure partnerships to finally produce the pipeline from Nigeria all the way to Morocco? And that pipeline will not only have a benefit for Europe, but will also have a benefit for the West Africa sub-region. Uh, how are we um, mobilizing expertise in order to enhance the quality of the ports and the roads so that we can bring those resources to the terminal so that we can further benefit from the export potential that exists. But I think we also need to be looking at this uh, even further. How do we then, uh, in the process, also look to invest in the infrastructure for the local economies? Uh, is the dividend that we're going to realize from what uh, some are already um, calling a coincidental commodity boom going to be invested in making sure that the energy situation in Africa itself, which we know in many instances has lagged behind, is also addressed? Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We'll leave it there just for the moment. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about this and find out whether Africa stands to gain from signing new energy deals with Europe. And is Europe's own climate commitments taking a back seat with economic growth and energy security being threatened? Do stay with us.
Welcome back to Talk Africa. Let's continue with our discussion. Still with me in London is Dr. Elif Selin Chavik, an energy consultant and author of Renaissance of Smart Energy. In Johannesburg, Langa Madongo, economist and principal consultant at Summit Africa. And from Lagos, Mr. Balazaka, a petroleum engineer and an oil and gas analyst. Well, I think now it's time that we talk about the elephant in the room, which some have labeled as Europe's own hypocrisy. We know full well that Europe doesn't want to fund oil and gas projects in Africa and has been actively discouraging the use of gas and other fossil fuels around the world in pursuit of global climate goals. And of course, now, though, of course, uh, Europe is looking to import that gas. I want to start with you, Langa Madonko. Um, interestingly, the news publication Foreign Policy has labeled Europe's, uh, Europe's stance as gas for me, but not for thee. Is it fair then that Africa is supposed to leapfrog the use of its own oil and gas and coal that it would rather perhaps exploit for the benefit of its own people? In my view, it's, it's slightly unfair because I think our infrastructure currently is built for the exploitation of those resources. Um, and because we've got such um, huge disparities in terms of the infrastructure development here and the infrastructure development in Europe, again, I go back to the concept of a just transition. It can't be that we need to leapfrog, we need to transition into it. We are all uh, pro-moving uh, towards green solutions, but I think this further heightens the need for a just transition. It can't be that um, we are now saying from an African perspective, all the new solutions need to be um, just on the basis of solar and wind. We need to make sure that it's a measured and managed approach towards achieving those goals. For us to be benchmarking the entire uh, world in terms of when we need to achieve this on the same footing, when the level of development of infrastructure for those solutions on the African continent, for example, is not at the same footing as where Europe has been, would be unjust. I think we need to be making sure that in our investment towards uh, a green economy, we are not neglecting investment into other spaces. Because I think one of the biggest challenges that we currently face is that if you look at infrastructure investment on the African continent and what is being attracted, we are seeing a large chunk of that infrastructure being invested into, um, into energy. While we still have glaring shortages in terms of healthcare infrastructure, education infrastructure, road, rail, port infrastructure, and even airports. And I think we need to always be allowing Africa to be a balanced developing community. We need to not only focus on the energy solutions of the future, but make sure that we're enabling the whole environment. We are starting to see uh, higher levels of unemployment creeping up across the continent. And we also need to be dealing with that in terms of creating other pockets of the economy, not just in the energy space. Well, let me share with you what uh, Nigeria's president, Muhammadu Buhari, has had to say on the matter. He says, we need long-term partnerships, not inconsistency and contradiction on green energy policy uh, from the UK and the European Union. He further goes on to say, it does not help their energy security. It does not help Nigeria's economy and it does not help the environment. Mr. Balazaka, coming to you, what does your president mean by these remarks? Uh, with specific reference to Nigeria. I want to call uh, Africa uh, an emerging continent, uh, uh, but, but, but what was happening was a case of the developed nations and uh, continent 
moving probably at a faster rate you know, com or speed compared to, to the continent of Africa. Because we were when, when other, other continents were talking about uh, going green, when they were talking about renewables, we knew that uh, even the fossil fuel we, we have within the continent of Africa has not been put to use. You know, we knew that we were grappling with, with basic electricity supplies. You know, we require diesel. We require what we call petrol, kerosene, and the rest. And the people are still cutting firewoods here to cook. We, we, we were not having liquefied petroleum gas for, for cooking. So when, when that philosophy or that concept or drive came to go green, uh, within the continent of Africa, we, we knew we, we, we were largely behind, but because it was a global vision, I mean, the continent of Africa and Nigeria wanted to key in. But what has just happened is a clear indication that, I mean, when, when there is a sudden halt in, 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 in any system, people are likely to, to adjust. Because what happened uh, from the Russian-Ukraine crisis just led to a, a kind of halt and a disequilibrium. In, in, in energy supplies, energy vision. So to that extent, uh, it, it seems now Africa and, and Nigeria in particular is saying, oh, so, so our, the coal deposits we have, or we have always had, will be important. Oh, the, the, the crude oil we have is important. Even the natural gas that is a cleaner fossil fuel, which we thought we needed to move away from, is, is suddenly important. Mm -hmm. And if that is the case, uh, then this time around, probably there is a need to be very honest as, as members of global community. There is a need for us to have a partnership that, that will lead to a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. Because we now want what will be good for, for other parts of, of the world to also be good for the continent of Africa and also to be good for Nigeria. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Chavik, coming back to you, as Europe is looking to fill this energy gap and turning to resources such as oil and gas, it is almost inevitable that we will see a rise in emissions. Is Europe suggesting anything in the line of mitigating uh, this uh, negative impact on the environment? As it is highlighted in uh, last year during you know, COP26 in Glasgow, uh, there are two things important, uh, certainty and leadership. Uh, those two things can attract green investment and achieve uh, continental like Africa, for example, achieve Africa's social economic development goals and also Europe's social economic development goals as well. Uh, so I think uh, Africa can also partner uh, with competitive countries that also willing gas producers. Uh, so how much uh, Africa uh, show really, really boldly partnership in terms of green investment with Europe, that much uh, the continent can uh, get the more fair basis in terms of reaching net zero 2050 targets. Thank you so much. And uh, Mr. Zaka, I want to come back to you for a moment on this matter of the environment. Uh, one can't easily forget the massive environmental destruction that Shell caused in the Ogoni land region in the early 90s and the impact that that is still having on the environment today. Um, we've seen the scramble for Africa. We might be looking at a scramble for Africa's oil. How important is it that Africa insists on guarantees 
to protect the local environment at all costs. It's very, very important that the environment is, is, is secured because everything about, about survival is, is, is the ecosystem. And based on that, we just have to make sure the environment is secured. Then also, I think the model that many African countries or the continent of Africa has been using was probably the, the wrong model. But I, I, I stand to probably be, be corrected. I think something tells me that uh, so, some, some of our political leaders within the continent of Africa were comfortable with, with uh, the, the model of extracting uh, our raw materials, whether, whether, whether solid uh, uh, minerals or uh, oil and gas, and, and they were comfortable with, with, with Africa and Africans uh, being an imp I mean, being important continent and, and countries. Because when you look at it very well, I mean, whether you talk about the areas of solid minerals or crude oil and gas, at a point we, there were just no infrastructures. And uh, that docility can, can, can be put at the doorsteps of, of, of our economic uh, and, and political leaders. At some point, something tells me that they were comfortable uh, to, to be relying on imports, which was not uh, in the interest of Nigeria and, and the continent of Africa. Because if they were to care for the environment and we internally domesticate things here, then apart from exploiting the mineral resources, we were supposed to take care of the, 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 the environment by making sure if there is any form of biodegradation, somehow, somewhere, we must take steps to bioremediate those concerns. Mm. But I think somehow, somewhere, probably the models that they were using were the wrong models. They were probably using the models of being comfortable with our resources being exploited and we behaving or being comfortable with more of importation. But I think with what is happening now, I think there will be a, probably a balanced discussion on, on the table. And that's why I, I was probably talking and hoping that we are likely to see probably a win-win situation this time around. Well, we certainly hope so. Thank you so much. That is all we have time for on this edition of Talk Africa. A big thank you to our panel of experts in London, Dr. Elif Selin Chavik, energy consultant and author of Renaissance of Smart Energy. In Johannesburg, Langa Madongo, economist and principal consultant at Summit Africa. And in Lagos, Bala Zaka, petroleum engineer and an oil and gas analyst. Now remember, you can be part of this conversation through our social media platforms on Facebook and Twitter. And you can watch this and other editions of Talk Africa on our YouTube playlist. Do join us again next week for more from Talk Africa. From me, Lindium Tongana, and the team here in Nairobi. Until next time, goodbye. Welcome back. That was a discussion uh, from uh, Talk Africa dealing with the European energy crisis and the role of Africa and the complexities uh, of uh, the relationship between Europe, uh, the European Union, and the African Union member states, and uh, what will the outcomes be uh, in regard to the uh, demand uh, for African oil as well as African liquefied natural gas. Uh, on uh, the African continent and Europe as well. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more.
of the Pan-African Journal for uh, this week. find the man I dreamed about You'll be the love That touched my heart and turned my feelings inside out It's been so long And I grow tired of being To lose myself and fool myself, hide myself in someone's arms. I tried to make believe I had it all, but deep inside I always knew that lovers who pretend lose out in the end, no matter how long it may take. And I'll wait for someone to love Ooh, someone to love Someone to love Someone
music of uh, the legendary uh, Phyllis Hyman, uh, Someone to Love. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Friday, November 25th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Right now we want to move into an interview uh, with the acting deputy Secretary General of the African National Congress of South Africa. Uh, this discussion, of course, is a contribution uh, to the upcoming National Elective Conference of the ANC that's going to be held uh, in a few weeks' time. Uh, let's listen to this uh, report. The race towards the 55th National Conference of the ANC in December is fast gaining momentum. ANC NEC member and party's Deputy Secretary General Hopeful Nomvula Mukonyani says although President Cyril Ramaphosa gave his version on the Palapala matter, she's of the view that a lot still needs to be clarified. Our politics reporter Natasha Piri sat down with Mukonyani. Well, very good afternoon to you, and of course, try SABC viewers. Um, as you know, the SABC politics team has been talking to various candidates that are vying for the top six position uh, of the ANC, and this is just as we are less than a month away from the elective conference uh, that will be taking place in Nazareth, Johannesburg. Of course, you've seen us with various candidates, and today we're joined by uh, Ms. Nomvula Mogonya, and of course, you would know that she was once uh, the premier of uh, this province, the economic hub of the country, Gauteng, and of course she served as minister in three portfolios. Ms. Mokinian, thank you so much for joining us um, on SABC News. Um, just first and foremost, before we actually get to, you know, um, uh, issues of candidacy and you being nominated for DSG, you were a minister for the longest time. Um, you're now in uh, the ANC, your national organizer. Just tell us about, you know, that, that part, how life has been since you were the national organizer of the ANC and your work within the party, especially right now where it seems that the ANC is actually going through a turbulent time. Thank you very much and good afternoon to your viewers, Natasha. And thanks for this opportunity. Um, yes, you want me to start right at the end. Well, um, I've for the better part of my life, even being in public office, mm -hmm. I have been part of uh, the machinery of the ANC, uh, predating the unbanning. Uh, I've been an organizer mm -hmm. um, of the Federation of Transvaal Women, which was a, an affiliate of the UDF. Uh, I've, I've organized, I've been a shop steward uh, of uh, uh, Kausa, which is now Sakau today. Um, and um, now I'm here uh, on a full-time basis. Mm -hmm. It's been quite a, a very challenging period, a period where we, we, we had to, to look at um, a different way of recruiting members, mm -hmm. a different approach of uh, convening meetings of the ANC, um, a lot of work around political education mm -hmm. and um, operating under a very terrible environment of COVID-19, mm -hmm. uh, something that uh, we have never actually thought of. I think COVID-19 was even almost similar to a state of emergency um, where you will have to, you know, quietly go underground and continue doing the work. Mm -hmm. and, and, and gratitude on my experience this time goes to members, ordinary members of the NC 
who kept the ANC alive, mm -hmm. who did a lot of work under those conditions. And what has been quite exciting was the enthusiasm um, of people who, who had to go out and, and give support to families, uh, to victims of floods in, in KZN. One of my uh, memorable uh, periods is that when we saw all provinces of the ANC, leaders of the ANC in the various provinces, running behind and in solidarity with the people of KwaZulu Natal and mm. um, Port St. John's and, and, and the Northwest. Um, our, our, our ordinary members setting up uh, the COVID uh, response uh, forums in their townships and, and uh, working together with the ANC Women's League uh, that held the ANC by hand mm -hmm. uh, through the Molo Makelwane uh, okay. uh, uh, program that, that helped to deal with the neighborhood challenges and, and so on and so forth. Um, but the, the, the most other reality is that it was at a time when, as you said, and it, as we have all considered, at a time when the NC was going through serious internal tensions. And still is right now. Yeah. And I think you were there yesterday when the president closed. Um, even the NEC does, does concede that uh, we, we have had serious challenges. Um, we have had uh, serious problems, uh, particularly around uh, the role and responsibility of leadership. But yeah, um, here we are today. We are just 30 days or so from the national conference. We have convened uh, a, a, a provincial conferences. Mm -hmm. We have convened uh, regional 46 uh, regional conferences. Uh, we are left only with the Western Cape and the Eastern Cape. Unfortunately, we have not been able to take the youth list to conference. Um, the Women's League as well. The Women's League uh, has been given a nine-month uh, mm -hmm. term. Um, we, 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 we cross our fingers, mm -hmm. but uh, uh, maybe we should not even wait for nine months because there's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. There are structures of the Women's League. What needs to happen is uh, that uh, validation through processes of the Women's League as well as uh, ensuring that uh, they take along all the provinces and members. And, and I think if it is about organizational uh, renewal, mm -hmm. uh, the Women's League might not even have to wait for, for nine months, uh, knowing what one has been doing with the previous NEC, mm -hmm. as well as with the organizing task team of this uh, entity. The Youth League, um, they are done, they are ready. The Youth League is ready for conference. Uh, uh, people have been asking the question, why don't they sit? Which actually brings me to the next question. It's actually at the bottom of the list. Are they not sitting precisely because of some of the challenges around resources? Okay, before we actually get to that point. Are you of the view that President, ANC President Thor Ramaphosa has collapsed the, uh, the leagues, the ANC Youth League and the ANC Women's League? I'm not, I think what has been a problem, I, I would detest singling an individual. Mm -hmm. But I think in our differences, mm -hmm. the way we constitute task teams, mm -hmm. we constitute them on the basis of uh, um, the past differences and say these ones are known to be supporting mm -hmm. a particular leader and these ones are known to be supporting a particular leader. And in some instances, uh, then there is a dominance mm -hmm. of a particular group. And, and I think it is one lesson that we must learn. Mm -hmm. that, uh, Inasmuch as uh, the Women's League has been uh, uh, um, 
reconstituted in terms of uh, the cast team that we have. And of course, other people are saying it is because they had uh, uh, gone beyond their term of mm-hmm. office. And there um, was COVID-19. And there was co- but the Women's League was working during COVID-19. Mm. Uh, and, and that's what some of us, yes, I, I had to live with the decision of the NEC. But some of us have been on record to say we should have reconstituted the Women's League and brought in that leadership. If we're saying they were fighting, mm-hmm. uh, there's no structure that was fighting more than the NEC of the NEC. Mm-hmm. And we should have uh, then tested our commitment of building unity by making those comrades to work together. You've been very critical of this current crop of um, NEC members. They've got probably less than a, a month to fulfill the, the mandate. A new NEC will be elected. Is this the weakest NEC in the history of... Let me tell you, um, just reading and going through the NC material of what happened from the founding of the African National Congress and uh, at a time when there, were, there, there, there was just uh, an onslaught on the, the ANC, the PAC and stuff, leaders of the ANC under those difficult conditions were able to come together even in the, in, the, in, the, in the midst of the tyranny of the apartheid system mm-hmm. and operate together. Mm-hmm. Um, when the NC was banned, leaders of the NC were able to adapt and, and go underground and at a particular time help to rebuild the mass democratic, to build the mass democratic movement. And the NC operated from prison, from exile, underground and everywhere. And uh, post the unbending, the coming together of those that were in prison, the coming together of those that were in exile and those of us who were at home, were able to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, when, 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 when Comrade Chris was, was, was killed, uh, that was a turning point. It tested the leadership of the ANC. The suspension of, of armed struggle tested the leadership of the ANC. And, and you had comrades that were very passionate mm-hmm. about umkondoesis um, uh, 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 and its, its status because people were dying in Buipatong, in Kajis, or everywhere. But finally, the leadership took a collective decision and they rose above. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have had challenges everywhere, but to, up to today, we, we, we have people who, who thrive on sectional mm-hmm. uh, positions in, the, in, the, in, the, in, our, in our NEC. And mm-hmm. I'm saying that without, uh, without actually being, being you know, hesitant, mm-hmm. that there, are, there are people that you know that anything that they do, even as they preach renewal, mm-hmm. their renewal is about... Uh, self-preservation nothing about if you talk about unity there can't be unity of the like-minded and then people talk about a principled unity and I'm saying yes there's been experiences of principled unity in the NC during the time when there was mutiny in the camps leaders of the NC came together sorted out issues when Chris Ali wrote a letter to the leadership of the NC and the Morogoro conference those were trying times and uh, leadership of the NC O.R. Tambo and his collective rose to the occasion and um, when there were processes of going to negotiations when there was that uh, delegation that came from exile working together with the leadership of the mass democratic movement everybody worked for a common 
course. Mm-hmm. And and I think we could have done better, Natasha. Mm-hmm. We could have done better. We've got capable people. And you're not excluding yourself. No. Yes. That's what and remember, I keep saying we. Mm. I keep saying we. Mm-hmm. We could have done better. Mm-hmm. We can com- We could complement one another. Mm-hmm. And and I really hope that. Uh, remember, we we had planned to go for a retreat. Unfortunately, now we can't go for mm-hmm. the retreat. Reality is here that we're going to the conference. We couldn't go to the NGC. It was just yesterday. Remember, it was after almost two years mm-hmm. that we met. But the best NEC after a long time was this one we had at Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you meet in person, it's different. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you understand a person and everybody speaks his or her mind. And, uh, and in fact, it, the, you know, the, the, the spirit of comradeship was, was there. Mm-hmm. Even though we were critical on one another, even our chair was very good. You know, in these uh, uh, virtual meetings, you would just say, Salapanzi Nomvula. He was nice. It was... I wish we could have had four other mm-hmm. physical meetings before the national conference. I'm sure we'll do better. Mm-hmm. But what has been good, we've all committed that we will be frank in accounting to our members. Mm-hmm. We will be critical, but also appreciate that we are sitting in the. We'll be sitting in this conference because individual members of the NC are the ones who have made it possible for us to go to this conference. Are you happy with the explanation that ANC President Sol Ramaphosa gave on Palapala? Listen, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a... He gave his own version. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's still a lot that has to be clarified. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot that still has to be clarified. And um, we, we were hoping to get a report from the Integrity Commission and there was no report from the Integrity Commission. Uh, because Comrade uh, President presented in his overview mm-hmm. um, that part of his own understanding of what has happened. Um, and they, he went to the Integrity Commission, and, and I do hope that uh, we'll get the report. Some of us are the ones that have been saying we need a consistent approach uh, by the Integrity Commission so that consistency applies. Um, in how they handle they handle so the leaked reports that we got as members of the media is is not the true one because remember there was a statement afterwards and the integrity committee had distanced itself from that report natasha we didn't have a report of the integrity commission at all no there wasn't the only source on palapala in that uh, meeting which by the way palapala was not on the agenda the agenda gets adopted by the Mm -hmm. nwc and then comes to the NEC, the NEC adopts. There was no item 7 that says uh, Palapala. In the political overview, Mm -hmm. Comrade President presented his side. Mm -hmm. And in the discussions, everything was raised. And the most unfortunate thing, and the the TG on behalf of the SG's office, confirmed that there is no report. Mm -hmm. So whatever that was in the media, I can't speak on behalf of the mm-hmm. Integrity Commission. I can't speak on behalf of you people as to how you mm-hmm. got it. Um, but the NEC was never finished with the report. Is this Palapala issue uh, causing damage to the image of the ANC or the brand of the ANC? I mean, you yourself have been figured in the state capture report. There's uh, recommendations that you must be investigated as well. What does this do to the image of the ANC? You know, um, 
things that get raised and and never um, been resolved in a in a constructive or in a in a procedural manner do harm the organization. Mm-hmm. They do, um, and and I think even the president himself was saying he's 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 aware that. Uh, this thing is, is, is a challenge, but uh, this is his sad side of the story. Um, and, and like I'm saying, the NEC never expected a report from the president. Mm-hmm. The report was supposed to be a report of the Integrity Commission. And your issues on Mufasa? Well, I don't know. I'm sitting here. There's the Zondor, uh, uh, the state capture yes, report. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the state capture report. Um, I have. Uh, uh, advised my lawyers uh, mm-hmm. to take up uh, the report mm-hmm. um, because I do believe that there are things that uh, um, the commission could have put differently mm-hmm. but also that uh, even in that uh, report of theirs uh, uh, their recommendations and their conclusions are different from what was the issue mm-hmm. at the presentation and and I think it is those things which even the NC has said it is within our right mm-hmm. as individuals because we do have the constitutional right as South African citizens to, to, to reflect and express our views and that's what we're doing. Let's talk about um, you've been nominated um, by several, not nominated, sorry, touted by several provinces. Um, ANC members want to see you as a DSG. Um, You've got the likes of the ANC's National Youth Ties Team, ANC Women's League Ties Team. What attributes would you bring to this position? And also, why the position of DSG? And not the just president. Yes, not the president, <laughs> or actually the SG. I mean, this is it's, yeah. it's a big position. Yeah. It's a very yeah. important one. You're basically running the engine of the organization. Mm. And also, um, I know you went through a difficult time when um, the late mom did do what passed on. Um, just why? Why should they elect you? Are you following up in the footsteps? Look, um, I've been approached mm-hmm. uh, before many of the provinces touted my name. Mm-hmm. Um, they called me. Some came to see me. Um, others didn't even talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am aware that uh, three provinces mm-hmm. uh, discussed in their structures, and then they also got in touch with me. Um, and at that point, the issue was, I appreciated. Let's allow branches to to, to proceed mm-hmm. because the the ANC process is, is 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 that that is driven through branch processes, and uh, comrades are accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, we left everything to the organisation, to the organisational processes, and. We had a, a serious discussion, even politically, mm-hmm. on why do they want me to be the DSG? Because it's not me wanting to be the DSG. Mm-hmm. I asked them, why not the president? Why not the deputy president? Mm-hmm. Why not every position? Let's mm-hmm. discuss. And, and why this one? And comrades then gave their own both political and organizational explanations, which uh, I, I really appreciate, because for me, um, you you ask me to 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 go and and run a campaign in 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 Mamosa. I will go and do it for mm. the movement. And um, part of what uh, maybe 
you would not know is that I got uh, uh, approached from as far back as in uh, in 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 Pulukwani mm-hmm. to stand as an office bearer. Mm-hmm. Then it was a, it was also f- uh, being pushed when we were in Mangawu. Um, then when we were in Nazarek, the last uh, conference as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the last conference I declined when the electoral commission came through. Mm-hmm. I declined the uh, nomination. Um, so part of what I I I also do is to look at what are the tasks at hand and. Comrades were raising issues about organizational responsibilities, being in a position where you'll have the authority and the ability to drive issues without having to defer to somebody. And uh, as it is now with the organizing, you account through the SGO. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we agreed, I, I took that, and uh, for me no position is insignificant. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you raised the issue about uh, Comrade J.C. May her soul rest in peace. Uh, that, that is one other woman that I've always said I will not be an office bearer as long as J.C. is there. Mm. I said it also when uh, Comrade Tandimudise was there uh, and Sustenji and, uh, um, and J.C. again. And I said I can't. I will not try right. that. I think it, it has to do with my organizational wiring. Mm-hmm. I respect the hierarchy of the ANC. Um, and I, I felt at that time that I'm going to work and do much to, 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 to impress on members of the ANC to vote for this woman. Mm-hmm. Because I believe in her and I believe that she is part of the collective. Of course, we didn't get uh, Sisko Sazana as a mm-hmm. president. That's actually coming to yes, mm-hmm. We didn't get Sisko Sazana. And having Jesse there, um, and having worked to, 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 to get Jesse, who ended up uncontested, by the way, was, was also quite good. And but were you not disappointed that at least there should have been more women in the leadership collective? I wish we could have six. Because also my problem is that there's this perception that women in the ANC always deputized. You know, I've, I've, I, I, I agree with, with that. But I think what has been also quite good in these discussions was to say we need to also define the role mm-hmm. of deputies mm-hmm. so that you don't wait for somebody not to be there or for somebody to hand down what your responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. And hence the thing that I said, would you have had a serious, orga- serious organizational engagement? Because uh, I'll get bored having to wait for somebody to give me work to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'll create my own work and space and go and do it. So those discussions have also led to the issues around the amendment of the constitution, the dealing with a clear description of what the role of the DSG would be. Mm-hmm. Who would you like to see as ANC president? I have a preference. Mm-hmm. I have a preference, Natasha, and uh, truth be told, I'm, I'm running a program of the ANC making sure that we do lots of work with branches and stuff and people have pronounced provinces are yet to consolidate mm-hmm. with my preference that those that I work with uh, some of them don't know others know I think it is good for a person in my position to be measured mm-hmm. to be measured in 
in, in, in a situation where there's hardly consolidation of, uh, of the candidate. Mm-hmm. And hence I keep telling people, the only candidate I will pronounce now is Nombula Mokonyan, mm-hmm. because it is safer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then tomorrow I'll be sitting with provinces, sorting their BGMs, sorting their credentials. That, that should be the, the, the spirit, so okay. that you, you are not seen to be conflicted. Okay. Um, there are people who may conclude who my preference is, but nobody has spoken to me. They might have not spoken to me. My own preference would have been to see six women. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Six. Do you and think that we'll see more women this time around? I hope we will with the new electoral guidelines. I think we'll get more women in the entire top six, in the entire eighty-six. I think we will, mm-hmm. and and I think what provinces are doing, engaging amongst themselves and talking to one another, it's quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you are being considered, you should not be the one who's upfront to say I would love to serve with sort mm-hmm. Let let the let the structures of the NC be given the space to do exactly that. But do you find that women in the ANC are actually united about these no, issues? No, 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 no. Why? Because we buy other people's battles. Mm. It's not our issues. We've, we don't, we're not fighting over what differences as women. We, we even get too involved in other people's battles when they have actually made up and they've kissed and mm. they're fine. And that's the sad part. That You know, I, I, I was talking to to some young women from the West Rand, um, and yesterday after the NEC. And I was saying, one historic conference was that uh, conference where the NC Women's League mobilized women and men behind positions of the NC, and we got the 30% quota. Mm. And, and it is that responsibility that the League must do, mm. of uniting women, and, and not not, of course, finally they might have to, to choose, but don't work tirelessly mm. to, to, to unite women, even when you have preference. It must not actually mean that uh, you have preference against another woman. And, and hence, some of us are fine with the nominations of the NC Women's League, uh, because I know I enjoy the support of the NC Women's League mm. in my region, in my province, and in many provinces. But the entity of the Women's League has chosen other people, and I respect their choice. They didn't nominate her. There was an article that said that they had touted her as their preferred presidential candidate. In the Women's League? In the entity, the AMC Youth League entity. Or the MC Youth League. No, no, the Youth League came with Zueli. No, no, the, the AMC Women's the League. League. Yeah, the, the National Task Team. The National Task Team yes. came with President Ramaphosa. So that article... Yeah, no, no, I don't know the article. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about what is in their statement. Okay. In their statement, they came with President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. And um, one of the things as part of organizational renewal that we must do is to also go back to those processes that when you go to conference, even the leagues have to consult their structures. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm saying, um, I'm not, I'm not uh, sulking, I'm not angry, um, but... Uh, of course, I've been nominated by others, and I hope, therefore, that uh, the league will not be anti-Nomvula or anti-Kensani or anti-Ngosazana or anti-Lindiwe. Um, they will deal with their candidate and respect the choice 
of members of the NC on nominating other women. Mm -hmm. and, and rather not say anything because you must still provide leadership to me. Mm. There's, uh, you just raised an in uh, interesting point, um, saying that yesterday after the NEC, um, you spoke to young women from the West Strand. I don't know if you're aware of it, but I mean, you have now been regarded as a mother figure within the ANC. Um, youth leaguers come to you for advice. Women, the ANC Women's League come to you for advice. I won't mention names. But someone had drawn a comparison between you and the likes of the late Mama Winnie Mandela. Just also reflect on that relationship between the two of you. What you've learned from her. Yes. Um, and, and hence, in our informal discussion, I explained the issue of Mama. Mm. You know? Um, and I've reached a stage where I have to do the same that was done to me mm -hmm. by those who came before us, mm -hmm. such as Moses Tapanat, Jessie herself, mm -hmm. Susan Shabango, um, and many others, Muma uh, Muini. Um, who 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 held me by hand and and made me to be what I am and I've also seen them going through you know her trials and tribulations mm -hmm. and that experience has actually made me made me to appreciate that, that uh, politics is not for sisters Mm -hmm. It's even worse for you as a, as a woman because uh, then you, you, you go through the worst of it all and you must then do six times more mm. um, than, your male, than your male counterparts. I, fi I find that as my, as my revolutionary duty, but also just as an African woman, that any child is my child. Mm -hmm. um, it, 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 it is so fulfilling that... Uh, somebody can take up an issue with you and have expectations on you while they don't have, they don't they are not aware that you also are caring a lot you you have your own pain um we've seen it with Sulu, but as you walk into a house mm -hmm. the first thing that she will ask you having traveled by train from Kakiso to Orlando she will say Ulile. Mm -hmm. first thing have food the house is warm have a cup of tea and and then she will guide you she will send you from one place to the other and of importance she will forever have an ear for you even when you have done something wrong mm -hmm. you know there, there will be a mother who will say I hear you my child and that's also Nomzamo um, Comrade Winnie we had a, a, a funny relationship uh, of both mother and daughter mm -hmm. of both uh, comrades um, but also friends uh, we used to gossip a lot um, <laughs> and talk about girl issues you mm -hmm. know she liked nice things mm -hmm. and stuff and she would want to have your earrings and she would tell you about where she bought her scarf and 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 every other thing and through my contact with her because she used to frequent Kahiso. Uh, at the Catholic, the St. Peter's uh, Roman Catholic Convent, uh, where Sister Bennett used to operate, and we'll travel also the side, and through the Relief Mandela campaign. So I then also became closer to Zinzi, mm -hmm. and um, we became sisters, uh, and 
I I know what Zinzi felt about her mother. Mm -hmm. Even when in politics there'll be strains between ourselves and Comrade Twini, mm -hmm. Zinzi will be the one that say Mbulaf come let's talk and we'll sit, we'll have meat, we'll drink with Zinzi and the girls and do everything and then we'll talk about Big Mama. Mm -hmm. um, and that that will be Mama. Sometimes she will join us, she'll be the one who'll be nice with us. And these are women who also carried the pain. Sister Bennett went through her own hell of experience being a Catholic nun and taking mm. this choice. And yet every time she carried a smile. Mm. Uh, we had women in the trade union movement like Rita Nzanga, when some of us were trade unionists and Abo Emma Mashinini. Um, Emma Mashinini wrote a book about uh, uh, her own uh, 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 challenges um, and and all that she was raising was about the strikes and victimized and so on. Mm. So you you look at those people. As you say, how do I feel? I think I'm doing what I've been groomed to do, even at home. Um, I lost my parents at a tender age, and I was brought up by my brothers and sisters, whom I'm I will be forever grateful of. But even in the street where I grew up. Mm. Any child was everybody's child. So I'm a child of Kahiso, a small township which has now grown. But everybody knows that you are so and so's child and so and so is so and so's child. So I think it is it is an it is a it is a it's an honor also to have a Bantuana mm. who kids who come to you, young ones mm. who are open with you and who look up to you. I was looking up to Jesse now because mm. all these ones are gone. Yeah. They are all gone. Jesse and Lindy mm. and, and Susie, Shabangu, yes. those that I can count and also have. Mm. So you you do it because you know that somebody did that to you. Mm. And as a parting shot, I know we pressed for time, but I don't want to let you go without asking this question. Your relationship, how's your relationship with the current presence of the ANC? I know you call him Khotman. And how's also your relationship with the former president of the ANC, uh, President Jacob uh, Zuma? Because remember it was said in 2017 that you were somewhat of a supporter of his back, and now it's uh, a public perception out there. He's seen as a nemesis. To, to President Ramaphosa, and I mean, you know that he, he publicly, um, you know, lambasted him about a couple of uh, uh, weeks ago, or just last week, Saturday. How's the relationship between the two? My relationship with President Zuma is beyond just him being a former president. Mm -hmm. He's a father to me. He's a father to me, and you, you can remove politics and anything uh, uh, on him. Um, he, he remains a father and I have great respect for that mm -hmm. and and people don't also understand uh, that some of us are not wired in a sense that uh, you can go out and condemn and be anti somebody I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not wired to be anti anyone mm -hmm. I have views, I have preference I relate well, the last time we were together at uh, Moses Mapita mm -hmm. at the ceremony of uh, King uh, Mrs. Mm -hmm. Zulu and um, and she was a hey, man because his own grandmother is monkeys mm -hmm. and so we have also that relationship with him um, and and we talk mm -hmm. um, 
And I think it is within his right to express how he feels mm -hmm. because uh, he is also caring a lot. Mm -hmm. um, the same with the other presidents, like President Thabo Mbeki. Um, I see him as a, as a, as a father figure. Mm -hmm. And, and now we have Comrade uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, who's the president of the ANC. Mm -hmm. Listen, he was elected in Nazareth. Sisko mm Sazana -hmm. was the one who called us and said, you know what, the campaign is over. Let's all rally behind the president of the ANC. And that, those are some of the traits of Comrade Nko mm -hmm. um, and And throughout the term, that's one woman I appreciate. She nurtured us to say, let's be organizational, mm -hmm. because you are elected. When the time comes for you to express your views, express them. But that does not mean you must actually look down upon a person. When the person has got shortcomings, get into the meeting and say it as, as it is. And we, we've, we've, we've said that. Uh, when, when, when we are out in the streets, people must see the ANC. Because you must respect the office. Leaders come and go. The office must forever be respected. As I said when we started, Natasha, <sighs> this has been a difficult period. And therefore, we, we can't also not run away from the fact that there has been challenges around style of leadership mm. uh, and, and, and character of uh, individuals who are in the NEC. Mm -hmm. um, we all were excited when we left Nazareth uh, in 2017. When I went to East London to campaign for January 8th, I said the slates were broken in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. But uh, NEC members, we, come, we pick up this, we live with these little pieces forever. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of it, ANC members have done a lot of work. They are the ones who brought the, the votes that we got. It's volunteers of ANC. They are the ones who have now set up branches and structures that are now taking us to conference. They are the ones who have actually survived uh, COVID, uh, doing a lot of, of work for the ANC. They are the ones who are part of Molo Makelwane, and, and they still have faith in the movement. And therefore, we need to look at ourselves as leaders and say, we need to go back to basics. Renewal must also mean us. Be an activist, be an agent for change. Self-correct yourself. Extend a hand of friendship on, on another person. Mm. The extent of hate amongst ourselves is, is the one that just hurts me. Maybe it's because also I'm, I'm Christian. Mm. I, you know, I believe in forgive us our trespasses. Mm. And, and members of the NC forced us to be together. Mm. But there are those that uh, didn't want to do that and still don't want to do that. Uh, the... The, 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 the conference is sitting on the 16th. Mm. All of us, our term comes to an end, mm. including of the president. Mm. That's why we now are nominated. The electoral commission will come and say, so and so is nominated, and then you make your choice. I wish we could have more time for this, but unfortunately we've run out. Thank you so Thank much you, uh, for that interview. Of course, that was Ms. Um, Nomvula Mukonyan, the national organizer of uh, the ANC. She's also an ANC NEC member, of course, whose term is coming to an end on the 16th, around the 16th of December, where um, ANC delegates will be electing their new leadership. But that said, it's back to you in the studio. Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, an extensive interview with uh, African National Congress of South Africa National Executive Committee 
member and now acting uh, Deputy Secretary General Numvula Mokanyani uh, speaking uh, to the South African Broadcasting Corporation. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with our final segment.
Detroit's own uh, Anita Baker and uh, talk to me. And uh, our final segment, uh, we're going to listen to excerpts uh, from a speech that was delivered uh, here in the city of Detroit, where we're broadcasting from some 59 years ago at the uh, King Solomon uh, Baptist Church, uh, popularly labeled as Message to the Grassroots, a delivery statement that was delivered uh, to uh, a national northern uh, grassroots leadership conference that was held in Detroit in November of 1963. Let's listen to uh, Malcolm X. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is us. We're her problem. The only reason she has a problem is she doesn't want us here. And every time you look at yourself, be you black, brown, red, or yellow, a so-called Negro, you, are, you represent a person who poses such a serious problem for America because you're not one. Once you face this as a fact, then you can start plotting a course that will make you appear intelligent instead of unintelligent. What you and I need to do is learn to forget our differences. When we come together, we don't come together as Baptists or Methodists. You don't catch hell because you're a Baptist. And you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist. <laughs> you, don't, you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist or a Baptist. You don't catch hell because you're a Democrat or a Republican. You don't catch hell because you're a Mason or an Elf. And you sure don't catch hell because you're an American, because if you were an American, you wouldn't catch no hell. You catch hell because you're a black man. You catch hell, all of us catch hell for the same reason. So we are all black people, so-called Negroes, second-class citizens, ex-slaves. You are nothing but an ex-slave. You don't like to be told that, but what else are you? You are ex-slave. You didn't come here on the Mayflower. (laughs) You came here in a slave ship, in chains, like a horse or a cow or a chicken. And you were brought here by the people who came here on the Mayflower. You were brought here by the so-called pilgrims or founding fathers. They were the ones who brought you here. We have a common enemy. We have this in common. We have a common oppressor, a common exploiter, and a common discriminator. So once we all realize that we have this common enemy, then we unite on the basis of what we have in common. And what we have foremost in common is that enemy, the white man. He's an enemy to all of us. I know some of you all think that some of them are enemies. Time will tell. In Bandung, back in, I think, 1954, was the first unity meeting in centuries of black people. 
And once you study what happened at the Bandung Conference and the results of the Bandung Conference, it actually serves as a model for the same procedure you and I can use to get our problems solved. At Bandung, all the nations came together, nations from Africa and Asia. Some of them were Buddhists, some of them were Muslims, some of them were Christians, some of them were Confucians, Confucianists, some were atheists. Despite their religious differences, they came together. Some were communists, some were socialists, some were capitalists. Despite, despite their economic and political differences, they came together. All of them were black, brown, red, or yellow. The number one thing that was not allowed to attend the Bandung Conference was the white man. He couldn't come. Once they excluded the white man, they found that they could get together. Once they kept him out, everybody else fell right in and fell in line. This is the thing that you and I have to understand. And these people who came together didn't have nuclear weapons. They didn't have jet planes. They didn't have all of the heavy armaments that the white man has. But they had unity. They were able to submerge their little petty differences and agree on one thing, that though one African came from Kenya and was being colonized by the Englishman, and another African came from the Congo and was being colonized by the Belgian, and another African came from Guinea and was being colonized by the French, and another came from Angola and was being colonized by the Portuguese, when they came to the Bandung Conference, they looked at the Portuguese, and at the Frenchmen, and at the Englishmen, and at the, the other Dutchmen, and, and learned or realized that the one thing that all of them had in common, they were all from Europe. They were all from, they were all Europeans, blonde, blue-eyed, and white-skinned. They began to recognize who their enemy was. The same man that was colonizing our people in Kenya was colonizing our people in the Congo. The same one in the Congo was colonizing our people in South Africa and in Southern Rhodesia and in Burma and in India and in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. They realized all over the world where a dark man was being oppressed, he was being oppressed by the white man. Where the dark man was being exploited, he was being exploited by the white man. So they got together under this basis that they had a common enemy. And when you and I here in Detroit and in Michigan and in America who have been awakened today, look around us, we too realize here in America we all have a common enemy. Whether he's in Georgia or Michigan, whether he's in California or New York, he's the same man. Blue eyes and blonde hair and pale skin. Same man. to do is what they did. They agreed to stop quarreling among themselves. Any little spat that they had, they settled it among themselves. Go into a huddle. Don't let the enemy know that you got a disagreement. 
Instead of us airing our differences in public, we have to realize we're all the same family. And when you have a family squabble, you don't get out on the sidewalk. If you do, everybody calls you uncouth, unrefined, uncivilized, savage. If you don't make it at home, you take, you settle it at home. You get in the closet, argue it out behind closed doors. And then when you come out on the street, you pose a common front, a united front. And this is what we need to do in the community and in the city and in the state. We need to stop airing our differences in front of the white man. Put the white man out of our meeting, number one, and then sit down and talk shop with each other. I would like to make a few comments concerning the difference between the black revolution and the Negro revolution. There's a difference. Are they both the same? And if they're not, what is the difference? What is the difference between a black revolution and a Negro revolution? First, what is a revolution? Sometimes I'm inclined to believe that many of our people are using this word revolution loosely without taking careful consideration what this word actually means and what its historic characteristics are. When you study the historic nature of revolutions, the motive of a revolution, the objective of a revolution, and the result of a revolution, and the methods used in a revolution, you may change words. You may devise another program. You may change your goal and you may change your mind. Look at the American Revolution in 1776. That revolution was for what? For land. How was it, why did they want land? Independence. How was it carried out? Bloodshed. Number one, it was based on land. The basis of independence. And the only way they could get it was bloodshed. The French Revolution, what was it based on? The land left against the land lord. What was it for? Land. How did they get it? Bloodshed. Was no love lost. Was no compromise. Was no negotiation. I'm telling you, you don't know what a revolution is. Because when you find out what it is, you'll get back in the alley. You'll get out of the way. The moment, the Russian Revolution, what was it based on? Land. The land left against the land law. How did they bring it about? Bloodshed. You haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed. 
then you're afraid to bleed. I said you're afraid to bleed. Long as the white man sent you to Korea, you bled. He sent you to Germany, you bled. He sent you to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese, you bled. You bleed for white people. But when it comes time to seeing your own churches being bombed and little black girls murdered, you haven't got no blood. You bleed when the white man says bleed. You bite when the white man says bite. And you bark when the white man says bark. I hate to say this about us, but it's true. How are you going to be nonviolent in Mississippi as violent as you were in Korea? How can you justify being nonviolent in Mississippi and your churches are being bombed and your little girls are being murdered? And at the same time, you're going to get violent with Hitler and Tojo and somebody else that you don't even know. <laughs> if violence is wrong in America, violence is wrong abroad. If it's wrong to be violent, defending black women and black children and black babies and black men, then it's wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in defense of her. And if it is right for America to draft us and teach us how to be violent in defense of her, then it is right for you and me to do whatever is necessary to defend our own people right here in this country. The Chinese Revolution. They wanted land. They threw the British out, along with the Uncle Tom's Chinese. Yeah, they did. They set a good example. When I was in prison, I read an article, and don't be shocked when I say I was in prison. You're still in prison. <laughs> That's what America means, prison. When I was in prison, I read an article in Life magazine showing a little Chinese girl, nine years old, her father was on his hands and knees and she was pulling the trigger because he was an Uncle Tom in China. When they had the revolution over there, they took a whole generation of Uncle Toms, just wiped them out. And within 10 years, that little girl became a full-grown woman. No more Toms in China. And today, today is one of the toughest, roughest, most feared countries on this earth by the white man because there are no Uncle Toms over there.
Of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward all research. And when you see that you've got problems, all you have to do is examine the historic method used all over the world by others who had problems similar to yours. And once you see how they got theirs straight, then you know how you can get yours straight. Please. There's been a revolution, a black revolution, going on in Africa. In Kenya, the Mau Mau were revolutionaries. They were the ones who made the word Uhuru. They were the ones who brought it to the fore. The Mau Mau, they were revolutionaries. They believed in scorched earth. They knocked everything aside that got in their path. And their revolution also was based on man a desire for land. In Algeria, the northern part of Africa, a revolution took place. The Algerians were revolutionists. They wanted land. France offered to let them be integrated into France. They told the France to hell with France. They wanted some land, not some France. <laughs> And they engaged in a bloody battle. So I cite these various revolutions, brothers and sisters, to show you, you don't have a peaceful revolution. You don't have a, a, a turn-the-other-cheek revolution. There's no such thing as a non-violent revolution. Only thing, only kind of revolution that's nonviolent is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution based on loving your enemy is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution in which the goal is a desegregated lunch counter, a desegregated theater, a desegregated park, and a desegregated public toilets. You can sit down next to white folks on the toilet. That's no revolution. Revolution is based on land. Land is the basis of all independence. Land is the basis of freedom, justice, and equality. The white man knows what a revolution is. He knows that the black revolution is worldwide, in scope, and in nature. The black revolution is sweeping Asia, sweeping Africa. It's rearing its head in Latin America. The Cuban revolution, that's a revolution. They overturned the system. Revolution is in Asia. Revolution is in Africa. And the white man is screaming because he sees revolution in Latin America. How do you think he'll react to you when you learn what a real revolution is? You don't know what a revolution is. If you did, you wouldn't use that word. A revolution is bloody. Revolution is hostile. 
Revolution knows no compromise. Revolution overturns and destroys everything that gets in its way. And you sitting around here like a knot on the wall saying I'm going to love these folks no matter how much they hate me. No, you need a revolution. <laughs> Who ever heard of a revolution where they lock arms as Reverend Fleet was pointing out beautifully, singing, we shall overcome. <laughs> Just tell me, you don't do that in a revolution. You don't do any singing, you're too busy swinging. <laughs> Welcome back. And uh, that was excerpts uh, from uh, the historic speech Message to the Grassroots uh, from November uh, 10th of 1963, uh, delivered here in the city of Detroit at the National uh, Negro Grassroots Conference that was held that weekend in the city of Detroit. And, of course, that was uh, speech was delivered at uh, King Solomon uh, Baptist Church. And uh, that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal, this special worldwide radio broadcast for today, uh, Friday, November 25th, 2022, we've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, if you'd like to have access to this program, just go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day. Just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. We're going to close out with the music of legendary uh, trumpet player, jazz trumpet player, Book a Little from the album Out Front. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.